Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts?
small American town 15 years ago. trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. Just Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have Halloween. <laughs> okay, Linda. Come on out. Chance for interest's sake, a deadly game to the game. I'm waiting for him. Testing one, two, three. We're on. Michael, I have something you might like to see. Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? 
the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Bus crash. Michael escaped. Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello? for this night. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Streggy, and here in the room, I have the ever-so-popular Katie Cadaver. Welcome to the Hi. Uh Hello. In the room, uh, we have a, a, the beautiful uh, Red Raven. Hi. And uh, uh, to her right, uh, we have the uh, wonderful, illustrious Dustin. Do I now? <laughs> <laughs> And, of, uh, of course, returning with us is uh, Kabuki Jake. Welcome back. Hi. So, um, tonight, uh, we are going to talk about a, a classic uh, from 1978. So, today's episode is pretty special because we're doing a double for you guys. So, we're doing the original Halloween Followed by its sequel, which just came out, what, two weeks ago? Okay. And follows it directly in a whole new continuity, ignoring all of the terrible foreign cult involving sequels. And, <laughs> and to minimize confusion, it's also called Halloween. It's in turn as Halloween 2018, so we start talking about that. Uh, just in case you haven't seen it yet, we're going to have kind of a loud spoiler disclaimer. It's like, okay, if you don't want Halloween 2018 spoiled for you, stop listening now. Not now, now but then now. <laughs> that means now. Yeah. In any case, so the first Halloween, okay. as we d uh, uh, delve in into it, is directed by John Carpenter from 1978. Ooh. Halloween, if they're here, they know who directed it. <laughs> uh, so, um, I'm, uh, we're going to talk about um, what our first experiences were. So, uh, wh why don't I go over uh, with you, Jake, uh, and uh, start, with, uh, start with you. Um, and uh, when was your first, or was this your first experience uh, watching uh, the original? We should probably give a quick synopsis of the film before we jump into talking about it. 
Yeah, um, so John Carpenter's Halloween is the story of Michael Myers. He killed his sister as a child and grows up in, an, in a mental institution. And on Halloween night, he breaks out, driven by an insatiable urge to kill people. And he steals a mask and a couple of knives and just stalks the neighborhood. Uh, he, fixates, he fixates on one girl and her group of friends. And by the end of the night, she's the only one left alive, and she has to, like, fend off Myers. And not only that, there's, there's a doctor from his original mental institute that is in, in, his, in tow to try to capture or kill Michael. So, so yeah, um, Michael's doctor has been trying to warn the authorities for years. It's like, you know, there's, we can't help this guy. Lock him away. And nobody listens to him, and so Dr. Loomis is there when Michael escapes from the institution, mm -hmm. and he's trying to track down Michael. Um, he, he's in Haddonfield, so he's trying to track down Michael in Haddonfield, like, all night. Like, he's, he stakes out Michael Myers' old house, which they know he's been to, um, but he doesn't really do anything all too helpful until, like, the end of the movie, when he's, like, drawn to the sound of screams. Let's not say everything, so let's go over to Jake. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, this is actually my second viewing of the film. Okay. Um, I don't recall... Immature. But I can't recall exactly when I saw it the first time. I know Brandon showed it to me probably in the last three or four years. I could not say exactly when. It was probably a Halloween viewing, because that's appropriate. <laughs> Um, but it definitely was this time, and, um, I borrowed the, uh, Shout Blu-ray release, so I got a, a feel for what the Blu-ray looks like, and, uh, it looks pretty good, and, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a fun, it's a fun movie, I like it, um, more than I like a lot of the slasher kind of films, although Dustin, you know, you, you mentioned his insatiable urge to kill. I couldn't yeah. help thinking as insatiable as his urge to kill. He didn't do a lot of killing. <laughs> Not in the first one so much. Like, yeah. He seems to have he seems to have almost like a pattern. Like right. he picks victims. Like I want that one and that one. Like he doesn't just go nuts on everybody in his path. Like he passes yeah. by. Um, well, we'll talk about this later in the other one. In yeah. the in the new one. Uh, with how with his like victim selection, it just seems to be kind of you know whatever he wants now. In addition to just you know, kill everybody, it's hard to explain his psychology. He's weird. <laughs> uh, going over to uh, Katie, uh, was uh, this a first time watch for uh, for you for this first adaptation? Uh, Absolutely not. I have seen the original Halloween many times. It's actually uh, one of the horror movies from my childhood that I remember fondly. Um, and Michael Myers is historically one of the greatest slasher villains of all time. And of course, again, a uh, menacing uh, boogeyman from my childhood. Uh, so I have a lot of fond memories of this movie. And um, I feel like it is the, the perfect... Halloween holiday film. Um, I, I try to watch it every year because it's just so apropos. 
Okay. Uh, going over to Red Raven, uh, was this a first time watch for you for Halloween? No, I had seen this about a year ago for the first time. Okay. Uh, I really like this movie. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, but like uh, Jake was saying, there isn't a lot of kills. You know, there's a lot of, you know, the beginning slower. And, it, you know, it takes a lot to build up the, the story and all that mm -hmm. compared to the newer one. Okay. Um, Dustin, uh, what, uh, was this a, a first time watch? Even though I know that uh, you have said that you have watched it like 30 times. Was that might not be, that might be the actual number. Uh, <laughs> So, I first saw this before I even started getting into horror, uh, back in, oh, back in undergrad. I think I want to say I first saw the original Halloween in, like, 2009, uh, which is kind of surprising to everybody here. <laughs> um, it's hard to describe, like, what it was like seeing it for the first time. It's like, it's like, okay, I've heard a lot about it, this is it, and then I'm watching it, this is pretty good, wow! <laughs> which, uh, you know... Halloween has been played up so many times as, like, one of the greatest horror movies of all time. And it's the same kind of, it gets the same kind of hype I hear about, like, Psycho or The Exorcist. Except this one actually lived up to my expectations. And so, I mean, I can't really recommend it enough. I mean, if I know people that haven't seen a whole lot of horror movies, I will make them watch Halloween. And uh, that's, that's how good of a movie it is. I mean, it kicked off the entire, you know, mass killer genre that we saw so much of in the 80s, and I think horror in general owes a lot to Halloween and John Carpenter. Alrighty, I would agree with that. And uh, no, this was not my first time either. I saw this on, uh, on VHS in its rare form of uh, Raggedy Ann-ness. <laughs> uh, Raggedy Ann? Well... Uh, the tattered-looking VHS box on the outside, uh, as someone had uh, had actually uh, had. Um, I was in someone's dungy ba basement at one point in time when I watched this film the first time. But uh, I always got a kick out of Michael because he could always—he was the only killer that I remember. That could walk and kill someone. He didn't have to run anything. All he had to do was just slide toward his victim. <laughs> what? What do you mean he didn't have to run? What are you... He didn't no. have to run towards his victims. He's a slow stalker type. Stalker kind. He would stand in the shadows, look, uh, look and observe his his victims before he, he even chose them. Well, Jason didn't necessarily run either. Well, in the later ones, at least. <laughs> but, um, I think the, uh, the thing that got, got me the most was, uh, was when he did that uh, first kill with that, um, uh, those glasses. Uh, uh, with the guy with the glasses, and he, he hung them up there, and he just well, that's, uh, that's not the first kill. The first kill was a sister. That's true. Yes, so Halloween opens with 
um, kind of a flashback to Halloween, what was it, 1963? Michael Myers is six years old. Yeah. And we see one of the, the things that made Halloween stand out so much when it was released was the whole, that entire scene, like how it was all like one continuous shot of, you know, somebody's outside the house, watches the sister and her boyfriend goes upstairs, comes in through the kitchen door, gets a knife, goes upstairs, stabs the sister, and then, like, a lot of people were genuinely, like, shocked. I mean, nowadays, you don't really get reactions. After, when they reveal that, you know, it's just a six-year-old kid who just did that, whose eyes we were looking out of. Like, that freaked a lot of people out back in the day. It did. And right away told you that you had something, like, different and special. It did, and it insinuated some, uh, some incestual killing, in a sense. Uh, because... There was a set. Uh, 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 there was a sense of pleasure in that killing in Michael uh, towards his sister. You know what I mean? Um. Okay. <laughs> I guess I didn't pick up on that because he was like six years old. But yeah, uh, he did have her top off when he killed her. So <laughs> maybe that's where well, top was already off. Oh, also, anybody else knows because it's like the one long shot. It's like, wait a minute, her and their boyfriend were only upstairs for, like, what, a minute and a half? <laughs> yeah. I think, they, I think they mentioned that in the trivia, though, like, if you look at the timestamp, they, they had only a minute and a half. They, he must have, uh, I don't know. They, they, I know, I've heard some people. Don't get a lot done in a minute. <laughs> I've heard some people. I've heard some people say it's like, oh, well, there's actually like a time lapse or whatever. Like, you know, he saw them and then when he came back. But it's like, no, it's like one shot, isn't it? Like, I like, did it a couple times, and I, I couldn't see the argument they were trying to make. They made it look like one and did a good job of it. But yeah. Okay. Really. So ultimately. Um, After um, view, uh, view, viewing it, uh, was the story easy to follow? Was it um, was it entertaining? Well, like I, I will say, in this absolutely. What was that, Red Raven? I was just saying, like you know, after the first kill, it's a little slower until you know towards the end. Because it build, it kind of build, it, it kind of builds up, up yeah. Because um, actually, uh, Michael Myers is in Dead by Daylight, which I play a lot of, and the way his power works is, like, he starts off somewhat weakened, but gets stronger by like observing like symptoms. Mm-hmm. So it was like the movie. It was like they got that directly from how the movie builds. Like Myers, after Myers escapes and like finds his targets for Halloween night, like, a lot of the movie is him following them around in a stolen car, like, during the day, you know, like, he watches, he watches where they go, he finds where they live, and he just observes them for a while. And that's really creepy in itself, like, in a different way than uh, the murders are, you know, that it builds that suspense and that whole creep factor of the teenage girl getting watched by the creepy guy, like, as a once teenage girl, that is a creepy thought. <laughs> well, it builds as kind of like a babysitting uh, a, a slasher story, you know? You, you've got um, Laurie Strode 
who evidently is, uh, which I'm going to ask you guys about her char uh, character, what you thought of her, or her character first. Uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis plays Laurie Strode in one of her very first, if not her first, like movie roles. So this is what Jamie Lee Curtis, Curtis got famous for. Uh, and so, quick thing about the babysitters. Uh, this was originally going to be called like the babysitter babysitter murders was one of the working titles for this. It's kind of where the whole idea came from. Um, but they decided to go with Halloween. Like, they found out, apparently nobody had ever made it a, a movie called Halloween before. Like, they were astonished <laughs> that the name was available. Um, but anyway, um, Lori and her friend, Lori is babysitting that night, and so is one of her friends, and they're doing kind of a excuse to see our boyfriends kind of thing. Like, Lori isn't, but she's going to, like, cover for the other babysitter. What's interesting is a, a while, a while uh, either is babysitting uh, 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 either child, uh, did you notice how on uh, on the one t uh, TV uh, uh, they had Howard, uh, Howard Hawks, The Thing, Right. Yeah. And then on the other TV, when it went to uh, the uh, girl ch uh, child's uh, television, they were playing Forbidden Planet on that television. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, but here's the thing. John Carpenter's thing logo was under the Howard Hawks thing, where it, where it didn't say the thing from another world, it said the thing. So... Well, he, John Carpenter really loved the Howard Hawks thing. Like, that's why he wanted to make one so bad. So this is almost kind of foreshadowing. Um, so what Dave is referring to is, like, later that night, after Myers has followed these girls around all day, and they're, like, in the houses where they babysit, uh, the kids are watching, like, different, like, old black and white movies. And so we see, we see a couple of clips of them. Uh, as the kids see them, and so one of the movies is, is indeed uh, the Howard Hawks, The Thing, which Carpenter himself is a big fan of, and everyone was. That was actually Forbidden Planet, like, I couldn't, um, I couldn't actually tell. Yeah, it uh, was actually Forbidden Planet, because you heard the dong, dong, dong. But uh, anyway, like, Carpenter really likes those works, and so that's, that was, I guess, his way of getting them included in some way. <laughs> a little bit of trivia for you. Yeah, and then the um, the first kill that uh, actually I don't think that actually I don't think that is the first kill, is it? Uh, you're talking about the uh, no, no, that's not, not the first kill. The first, the first person. So first of all, like as Myers is escaping, um, they make the point that it's a very long drive to Haddonfield, and Doctor Loomis is following what he thinks is Mike is Michael's trail, mm -hmm. and he comes across like an abandoned car. Uh, so Myers must have ambushed this guy and stole his clothes, because mm -hmm. he finds. Uh, well, wasn't the nurse that uh, that he killed in the very begin beginning as well? Yeah. Yeah. well you're, you're confusing it with one of the other Halloweens. He didn't kill her. Yeah, he didn't kill her. Okay. He attacked her. Saw the movie, right? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. There was a dead guy by the side of the road. That was probably the. Uh, Loomis almost saw, but he turned around like, you know. Well, Loomis, how, would they say that, how would they say that on CinemaSins, the uh, 
turns around just before seeing a body cliche. <laughs> well, CinemaSins is total fuck garbage, so, uh, sorry. But, uh, anyway. Okay, really, feel. <laughs> no, how do I really feel? Yeah, no, I mean, I was just kidding. Anyway. Five words or less, right? Yeah, I don't know if we have time for that. So, uh, Dr. Loomis makes the connection that, oh, Michael's been here. Because yeah. um, he finds a matchbook that was in the car that Michael stole. Which I had never realized the connection before. Because it seemed like, when I first saw this, it, was, it just seemed like a scene where Dr. Loomis just finds a matchbook and freaks out. And it's like, huh, okay. This time I noticed that there's like a really quick, like one second scene in the car. Uh, he actually steals Loomis's car. <laughs> funny. Like they're going to the asylum at night to like pick Myers up. And, you know, all this, inmates are just wandering around the yard, then while they're distracted, like, Michael, like, hijacks the car. Um, the matchbook was inside the car, and so I, I learned something from this viewing, is the entire point of that. Mm -hmm. okay. Anyway, so that's Michael's first kill. And then, later that night, um, one of the girls, uh, Annie, is getting in her car. She drops the girl she's babysitting off with Lori, and she's going to go pick up her boyfriend, and Michael Myers ambushes her in the car and strangles her in the car. Like, it's kind of funny, because Michael Myers is known for having, like, that big kitchen knife. And I think he only kills one person with that knife in this movie. And tell it, and I'm sure there's some weird psychological thing you could read into it. Like, the only one who gets stabbed to death with the knife is the dude. Wasn't it her, though, that he strangled, but she wasn't going down quick, and he slashed her? Was one that, that I, thought I, saw, I thought I saw, like, him, like, swipe the knife across her face, but she didn't have, like, I didn't see, like, a cut or anything. Like, hmm. to me, that sound played as though he, like, broke her neck. Oh. Hmm. Uh, but I did see, like, a hand motion, so you could be right. It just happens, that moment happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. She was making kind of goofy faces during it, though. It me out of it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of characters, um, what do we think of uh, Laurie Strode's uh, friends um, that are involved in um, her life? Are, uh, um, are they more or less... They're just kind of like bubbly, regular teenagers, you know? Yeah, like, they, we just uh, need some people to kill them. here, so... On <laughs> them there. Okay. Well, they do have a little bit of dimension, but yeah, you know, they're like likable people. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have to be able to relate to them so that their death is jarring to you. Mm -hmm. So, what do we think of the sheriff character in this film? Uh, I would say he's not that interesting. I'd rather talk about Doctor Loomis. Okay. Uh, as a character, I think. Um, you know, I think what he adds to the film in terms of his perspective is really valuable for the viewer in terms of, like, understanding how dangerous Michael really is. Yeah, he's sort of like the harbinger, you know, trying to warn everybody of, you know, what they're dealing with. Like, because he's spent, he spent, what, 15 years, like, working with Michael so he knows... You know, Michael Myers does not care about being caught or has any motivations other than wanting to kill people. 
Right, he pretty much knows him inside and out at this point. How is it he described it? it was something like he said, I think he spent, um, I spent, oh yeah, I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because he's evil. <laughs> the devil's eyes! The devil's eyes! Like, I, 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 I like that rant. Like, he just sounds, it makes Dr. Loomis sound crazy, but he's not exaggerating. Well, <laughs> right. yet nobody really listens to him or takes him seriously either. No. Uh, but it's just, that's going down. He is ultimately there, uh, there to try to take Michael down. Mm -hmm. um, he is the uh, not only he's, is he the messenger of death, but uh, apparently he's also somewhat the hero in in this particular Halloween. I want to say Ahab. They they use that term in Behind the Mask, uh, Leslie Vernon, yeah. Robert Englund's character. So he's he's the Ahab. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Definitely makes sense. Makes sense. Of course, it makes sense. <laughs> um. So what do you think of Michael as a character? I think it's important to, to also mention uh, about Michael Myers as a, a character in horror over the entire genre. Like, that too. This, this film really started something special, and a lot of the horror um, cliches and tropes that we see um, can be traced back to this movie. I mean, this mm -hmm. is kind of your, your classic... Um, beginning of of the slasher's genre and this type of, of villain. No, this type of villain, yes. There are some that kind of, like, this kind of started the, I guess, the slasher genre in general, but I've, I've long heard that a lot of people would say that uh, Psycho falls into the genre. And I think one of the cool things is that they cast Jamie Lee Curtis in part because of Psycho. Yeah. Um, her relation to Janet Leigh or whatever mm -hmm. her name was. Yeah. There are some people who, who believe that the slasher genre actually started in Black Christmas. Ah. Um, I think that's technically correct, although it didn't, like, lift off yet. When did that one? Actually, I... 74 there's um there's been a lot of talk there was a lot of talk for a while but john carpenter more or less just did black christmas on halloween um. well, i think regardless of where you think the slasher genre started i think we can all agree that halloween was instrumental in moving it forward yes, no doubt I mean, I didn't really watch any of these growing up at all, but I still knew the names. You know, Michael Myers, Frank Krueger, Jason. Oh, uh, you know, they all showed up well within about like a six-year span right there. So that was kind of... They're, they're definitely part of pop culture, no doubt about it, as representatives of the... You know. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway... We talk about uh, the uh, what would you, be either your favorite film or favorite scenes. Well, how about we get back to kind of like our breakdown of like what's happening because what you guys kept calling the first kill is like what the third is actually like the third kill. So after he gets as, a, as an adult, adult I, I even though I consider his first kill, uh, kill the a sister, his real ki uh, kills began when he was an adult. 
the babysitter kills. Fine. Um, so his next victim after Annie is uh, one of Lori's other friends and her boyfriend are upstairs fooling around mm-hmm. in the house that Annie was in. And uh, her boyfriend Bob goes downstairs to get to get a beer. And Myers just kind of surprises him out of nowhere. And we get to see, like, Michael Myers has, like, borderline supernatural strength. Like, Michael Myers picks this guy up by the throat with one hand and stabs him with a 12-inch chef knife so hard that it stick, it pins the body to the wall and it stays there. <laughs> so, uh, Pretty amazing. Yeah, I saw some... Uh, I saw some breakdown video on YouTube where they were like, you know, how could he be that strong? And one of the things was like, maybe he just has constant hysterical strength. Like, uh, physical strength is like when you're in an extreme situation, like you have to like flip over a car to save your child. And yeah, the adrenaline rush. shuts off um, all the fail-safes. Like... When you're in hysterical strength mode, like, you can re- literally, like, tear your muscles from your bones, though. So that's why it's such a rare thing. The other thing that is very, uh, 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 very pinnacle to that very scene is uh, right after he has pinned him to the wall, he turns his head to the side ever so slightly. And that seems to be a signature move of his. Uh, like he's yeah, studying the victims. That was that was the direction he got from John. For that scene, it's like, okay, now tilt your head like you're admiring your work. <laughs> and then that uh, that basically became like his signature move uh, there after uh, after he killed the victim. Well, he never he's like Jason. He never talks, so he has to do some kind of emoting. He has to emote. Personification. It's just in the next scene where he comes in in the bed sheet. Katie, you want to take this one? About the bed sheet? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, he shows up in the doorway in a bed sheet. <laughs> people ha- some people hate it. Like, some people think it's the hokiest part of the movie, but I think it's hilarious. I really think it's... Um, it's that just that light enough humor that that shows that he's, you know, he's a simple man of simple means, but you know, does what he has to to get the job done, even if that means hiding under a bedsheet with <laughs> holes cut in the eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, he, uh, after he kills Bob, he plays a prank on um, the girlfriend. Uh, what, Linda? He plays a prank on Linda, like, he walks upstairs, he's got a sheet with two holes cut out of it, like, he's a ghost, and he's got Bob's glasses, like, over the eye, over the eye holes. In a sense, he's a little playful. He pretend, yeah, he pretends to be Bob, and she's like, you know, can I get your ghost, Bob? Like, I hear people quote that. <laughs> like, you see something you like, you know, takes, like, the sheet down, it's like, and when he just doesn't respond, she's like, well, fine, I'm going to call Lori. <laughs> and he strangles her with the phone cord, like, during the call, and Lori's like, Lori thinks it's like a prank and, like, hangs up. Well, and uh, Michael, uh, Michael makes her, like, uh, scream and moan like uh, she was actually having, you know, sex at that point. So uh, at, at some point, Lori's thinking, you know, you know uh, of, co- of course, 
they, uh, they might have accidentally ca uh, called while they were, you know, yeah. having a little foreplay, so. You know, pocket balling was a little harder to do back then. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was. And that's one of the more fun scenes of horror movies in general. Um, and I tend to like the, the comedic aspects. Um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just do. And I like the, the horror comedies and stuff. And I've heard people say, you know, that they think that's like the worst scene or the most hokey. But I think um, there's something to be said about offering some sort of comedic element to lighten things up. Because it's almost like um, a counteraction to the harsh stuff. And I feel like it sometimes works to make the harsher kills even harder after you've just come off a laughing moment. Yeah. Well, definitely, well, when we get to the new one, there were a few instances of that. But, uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but we'll save it for that part. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think they, uh, I, like, I liked it as sort of a, a, a like you said, kind of a, a little lightening of the mood momentarily, kind of a little change of, of things. And the thought it occurred to me, I never read anything, but I just, while we were talking about this, the thought occurred to me that I think they actually did a direct homage to this scene in Scream. The part where Tatum is talking to Ghostface and doesn't realize that it's actually the kid. Oh, yeah. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to just come out and say it. I actually don't like Scream very much. Like, I saw it once and I was like, eh. So, I don't really remember what happens in Scream. Um, well, and Scream takes a lot from this movie. In fact, the, in the, the one of the killers is named Loomis. I mean, that's a big, you know, part of it. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, getting back to Halloween. Yeah. So, after that, um, Laurie is babysitting in the house across the street from... Uh, uh, I can't, I keep forgetting, like, the people's names. Her friend's name is actually Vicky. No, it's, it's Annie and Linda. Okay. Annie and Linda are Lori's friends, and, uh, oh, Annie was babysitting Lindsay Wallace, so it's the Wallace house, and Lori is babysitting for, uh, is babysitting for the Doyles, so the Doyle house is across the street from the Wallace house. Lori goes over to the Wallace house to see, you know, what's going on. She notices the lights flickering, and something just doesn't seem right. And when she's inside, she finds uh, body like lying on in one of the bed on the bed in one of the bedrooms. And Michael has taken it. This is another scene that we kind of skip over. Michael has taken the tombstone from his, his sister's grave. Like he picked up the tombstone and brought it back to the house. <laughs> Like, oh, my God, the power that would take. Uh, and so they do kind of like the Friday the 13th, like, body montage where Lori, like, bumps into all her dead friends. And then, like, Michael Myers just kind of steps out of, like, the shadows and comes after her. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes mm, more or less like a fast-paced, like, survival kind of thing where she's, you know, trying to get away from Myers, like delaying him any way she can. You know, he gets a pretty good slash, like, on her arm, and she falls down some stairs. Like, it takes him a while to catch up. Like, it, it becomes, like, a non-stop kind of tension chase movie. 
other thing that I was going to mention is uh, the boogeyman reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, it, it, it will obviously come up in the new film, but uh, but before we get to that, <laughs> um, what do you think about the boogeyman re- a, a, a reference in pertains to Meyer? Is he in fact a sort of or kind of a boogeyman? Well, yeah, like that's kind of so for the people who haven't somehow haven't seen Halloween. Uh, the Boogeyman reference is, earlier in the day, some bullies are taunting one of the kids, you know, the Boogeyman's gonna get you, ah. He's gonna get you, he's gonna get you. Boogeyman is coming. <laughs> and, um, by the end of it, like, Laurie is so traumatized from, by her encounter with Michael Myers, like, after Loomis has appeared and... Well, Loomis appears and more or less rescues her, and, like, in total, like, PTSD panic, was that the boogeyman? Actually, as a matter of fact, it was. It's like, you know, close enough. <laughs> as he notices that Michael has, uh, is no longer no, on the not, We're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> well, and I feel like also this, this film in general is almost, um... A modernized ghost tale, like campfire tale, cautionary tale type of story. Urban legend. So you could, go yeah, there. urban legend. Like the boogeyman uh, moniker really does fit for the type of um, story that it is, you know, and the, the type of lore that it creates. Okay. So, in a sense, he is kind of a boogeyman, kind of a monster, kind of a killer. Well, yeah. Because his abilities seem to hover between, like, what's possible in the real world and, like, just a hint of the supernatural. Um, so, but, uh, anyway, so... Several times, what do you think is the supernatural element of Michael Myers? It's just pure like, evil. Well, <laughs> I think, I would, I wanted to, I was going to say pure evil, too. Uh, but more as just, like, his drive that, you know, he just wants to hurt people, and that seems to... That seems to animate him to a disturbing degree. And he just never seems to die. Well, that's, uh, that's kind of from the second one. Like, he... Uh, it's hard to get into that conversation without referencing, like, all of the stuff that we've had come since. <laughs> there have been there are what like twelve Halloweens now, at least. And I think there's five different timelines also. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely some different t- uh, timelines. Uh, so you're not exactly sure where to get, uh, where to jump in. <laughs> well, starting with this one is a great starting point. <laughs> well, you kind of have to. <laughs> Yes, you do. Which, uh, since it's... Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, since we're getting into that discussion, I might as well just, like, finish off the movie. Um, so, after a bunch of, you know, cat and mouse with him and Laurie, like, Laurie stabs him in the neck with, like, a sewing needle, and that puts him down, but he gets back up. She stabs him in the eye with a coat hanger, and that puts him down, but he gets back up. She stabs him with his knife, which he drops... And uh, actually, one of the coolest—I think my favorite scene in the in Halloween—is uh, 
So, she's trying to hide from him in a closet. Like, he breaks through the closet, she stabs him in the overcoat hanger. You know, he drops his knife, she grabs his knife, she stabs him, and he goes down. And she's trying to, like, reassure the children. It's like, okay, you know, go get help. You know, blah, 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 everything's okay. And Michael Myers is just, like, lying out of focus in the background. And, um, as Michael Myers has been coming after people, like, he gets, like, his own kind of unique John Carpenter music. Like, don't, 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 you know, everybody's heard that. Uh, and my favorite part of the movie is, you know, she thinks she's killed him, she's not paying attention, and he just, like, sits up, like, looks at her, and the music starts playing again, and it's like, oh, crap! <laughs> Run! Uh, Did anyone find it weird that, like, while all this was going on, the doctor was just kind of, like, on the street in front of the house, just kind of roaming around? Well, he, um, he was camping out at the Myers house because he thought Michael would come back, and he only leaves the Myers house when he notices his stolen car is parked a couple blocks away. He's like, wait a minute, what the... And then he's running towards the car... And sort of looking around, and then he hears the children screaming, and he heads right for it. You know, Jim Myers wasn't that far away all along. Yeah, it kind of was like, okay, he noticed this car suddenly. Why now? It's been there this whole time, hasn't it? Well, the way it's cut, it's kind of it's kind of hard to tell, like when all this stuff is happening. So he could have noticed it fairly quickly. Although it's sort of funny, um, Myers gets his mask and gear from a hardware store robbery, mm-hmm. and Loomis is there talking with the sheriff, and Michael actually drives by them. Like, Michael Myers is driving around all day in town wearing the mask mm-hmm. in the car, and it, it didn't alarm anybody. Um, so. I think my two favorite shots in the f- uh, film are, are uh, uh, one where, sh- uh, uh, where Laurie Strode is on the couch, and uh, uh, Michael uh, 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 tries to stab her over the couch, and she stabs her with a, a knitting needle. I think it was. Yeah, I just said that a knitting needle, and and then my other one was what? Uh, what my uh, my favorite parts uh, parts in all the Michael Myers uh, movies is when he either gets stabbed, shot. You know, uh, when you think that he's uh, killed, and then when you look again, he's not there. And that, uh, that's one of my uh, one of my favorite th- things because uh, then he's like uh, does a disappearing act, you know. Oh yeah, that uh, that closes the movie too. So um, after after he gets back up from being stabbed in the eye, um, like he's struggling with Laurie, and she pulls his mask off, and he looks just like a normal person under there. Um, and so that's that's what Tony that's Tony Moran in the movie very briefly. Uh, quick digression, so I have a Michael Myers figure signed by Nick Castle, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, uh, Tony Moran, and Will Sedine, uh, which, Will Sedine played the kid, it's like a two-pack with, like, young Myers, like, in, in his, like, I sta- in his, like, killing Judith costume, and then adult Myers, and I was showing it off in a horror group, and somebody... Somebody was taking the opportunity to kind of dump on Tony Moran. It's like, Tony Moran, you know, he's in the movie for, like, ten seconds as Michael Myers. He doesn't even do anything, and he's just been milking it. Deborah Hill has more claim to play Michael Myers than Tony Moran. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's he's credited as such. How many people played him in this movie alone? Was it six or seven? I can't remember. 
<laughs> I'm guessing. Do you know, Katie? How many uh, total people played Michael Myers in, this, uh, in the first one? Because I know that just Tom in the Tom first one. Did, uh, didn't Tommy Lee Wallace like do I a think three? If you're not including the kid, three, four. Well, at least that many. I know I saw it listed at one point. Okay, here we go. Um, yeah, so they say Nick Castle throughout the movie, Tony Ryan during the unmasking, James Winburn, uh, who did a lot of the stunts, the production design, you know, Tommy Lee Wallace, who did most of the stuff that involved props, and then Deborah Hill did the hands for the kid. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a uh, fair number. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so she gets his mask off. He puts his mask back on just in time for Loomis to show up and, like, dump a clip into him. So yeah. Loomis shoots him a bunch of times, and he falls off of a balcony, and they look down, and, you know, he's, like, passed out, sprawled out on the ground. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, and that's when the, the famous bit of dialogue was that the boogeyman happens. And then when they go look back, like, his body's gone... There's one other signature move that uh, that I wanted to mention. Uh, uh, right in the background, bef uh, before Loomis shows up, you see uh, Michael Myers rise, uh, you know, ever so slowly. That was my favorite scene, like I just said that, Dave. <laughs> what did everyone think when he, he, you actually got the glimpse of him with his mask off? Yeah. Oh yeah, really cool. a little bit where you almost saw his face. Yeah, I thought it was really cool because it's just kind of like that's who's you know been like terrorizing these people all along. Like he looks so he looks so normal like in that shot. Like, if he had just taken off the mask and like been walking around, like nobody would have nobody would have realized it was the same guy. Right. <laughs> Which is maybe, like, what might have taken them so long to kind of track him down in the first place. Okay. Because I, I get the feeling that the sheriff didn't put two and two together that Michael Myers stole the mask. So maybe they were just looking for Michael Myers, like, from his, like, mug shot. You yeah. know, not realizing, oh, he's wearing a mask. <laughs> Which right. seems obvious now, but, you know, if you think about, like, the context of how things are presented in the movie, like, that very well could have been why... Why they had so much trouble finding him. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the film ends with a montage of all the places we've seen Michael Myers, followed by, like, the heavy breathing that you hear from the mask. Because I have a couple of masks, and they echo when you breathe in them. And so whenever Michael Myers is on, on screen and and it's quiet, like there's no background noise, um, you hear that very... Like, yeah. Like Just put your mask on and breathe first, Dustin. <laughs> you want me to? I could. Yeah. Why not? Because my headset probably won't pick anything up. <laughs> well, did, did anyone notice uh, when the one girl I, was running away and she goes to that? person's house and is like banging hysterically on the door and they there's actually someone in there and then they just turn the light off 
Yeah. I was like, if someone's like hysterically banging at your door, wouldn't you open the door, you know? Well, without knowing what's going on, and uh, if you're in a small town uh, that doesn't really want to uh, deal with anybody else's neighborhood, I know people who just do not come out of uh, outside. Like, hey, neighbor, how are you? Here's the mask we're all waiting for. There we go. Alright. <laughs> uh, moving on, um, uh, we're, we're going to hand over the uh, uh, hosting to uh, Katie for uh, uh, <laughs> the oh, We're saved. <laughs> <laughs> are we ready to jump into Halloween 2018? Yes, we are. You ready? Oh. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and jump in then. Um, Halloween 2018, directed by David Gordon Green. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the latest installment, which actually is a direct sequel to the 1978 original. So the, the Halloween timeline of every other movie that's been made, all the other timelines do not apply here. Uh, this is just a direct sequel, so... Big time spoiler warning for everybody. If you haven't seen it yet, turn this off now because we're going to talk about the new Halloween 2018. And okay. honestly, if you haven't seen it yet, what's wrong if you go see it? Like, a lot of people have been giving it crap, but, you know, they're insane. It's good. We could probably tell them to turn it off once we do the initial basic, like, uh, reaction to it. Um... Well, yeah, I'll give a synopsis, and then we'll we'll talk about it, um, and then people can turn it off. <laughs> so, Oops. well, yeah, I'll give a synopsis, and then we'll talk. I'm hearing everything echoing back at me. That was weird. Okay, uh, so our synopsis is 40 years after Michael Myers escapes a mental institution and terrorizes Haddonfield, Illinois. The babysitter killer returns and is confronted by Laurie Strode, who has been haunted by her experience escaping Michael Myers 40 years earlier. So Laurie has kind of um, prepared herself for the second coming of Michael Myers, and um, we sort of see the two of them duke it out. So obviously we are all pretty much saw this movie for the first time because it just came out. So right. instead of going through and asking everybody if it was a first-time watch, because it was, I thought you could all share your theater-going experience with it if it was special at all, um, who you saw it with, the circumstances for seeing the movie, and then um, talk about your overall impressions. So uh, we'll start with you, Jake. Uh -huh. Um, I went to see it with a few friends, you know, Brandon and um, a couple of our other friends, and uh, it, we went to the Top Dollar Theater because it's the only one his wife would go to, and uh, so I paid a lot more to see this movie in theaters than I normally would have ever considered, um, but it was, uh, it was a good experience, it's a good theater, it's a, the Cinebistro, I don't know if you guys have that up where you are, um, we do, yeah, so it's, it's good times, and, um, I got there early, and I actually got it with me, so I read it while waiting for them to show up, so it's a good way to get in the mood for a nice horror movie, <laughs> <laughs> um, because, uh, 
It was, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, I actually liked it a lot. Uh, there were a couple parts that, eh, but for the most part, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And it was a good overall experience, just more expensive than I would have liked. Yeah, no doubt. Um, David, how about you? Well, um, what, uh, I went on our $5 Tuesdays to Marcus Cinema over at uh, Southridge. And uh, when we sat down, I noticed that uh, there were some people who had some uh, machines that, uh, that, uh, that evidently these scenes actually read uh, subtitles to them. I guess they're for the hearing impaired. Oh, okay. Uh, South Ridge or South Gate? It was weird because at first they were like um, binoculars and whatnot. Uh, but um, there was an older couple that was sitting next to Tammy that was bugging the hell out of her because they were talking throughout the whole movie. Hmm. So, uh, what I wanted to... But, um, for the most part, I enjoyed this uh, particular production. I enjoyed it more uh, when the music, uh, the real music kicked in. <laughs> um... And um, I definitely felt like the, uh, this was a darker Michael Myers. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Red Raven, how about you? Um, I went and saw it with my boyfriend. Um, and we just went to a theater by our house. And um, I really liked this movie. I thought it was really good. Um, the only thing I found annoying was Jamie Lee Curtis looks like my stepmom, and I can't stand my stepmom. So watching the movie was like it, all the close-ups on her face. I was like, "Oh God!" Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh man. Hey, okay. How about Dustin? What did you? Uh, how was your? You have a special movie-going experience for this one, so. You can go ahead and call yeah. it. Um, so, I got to see this. I wanted to see it on opening night, but that wasn't possible. Uh, however, I got to see it on opening day, kind of. So, I went and saw it right on the Friday it came out. Um, and I was able to wear my Michael Myers costume for it. So, I had the, I had the jumpsuit, knife, and mask from Trick or Treat Studios. Uh, I'd, actually, I'd actually bought this stuff... Way back in like July, <laughs> because uh, I was so excited for this, and I wanted to make sure I had it on time. Um, and then, as for the mask, I had bought the Halloween two mask. I wanted to go in the Halloween one mask, but apparently there's a whole lot of stupid complications involving getting one of those. Um, and then I was out with a friend a week or two before that, and they actually had the new 2018 mask. At Spirit Halloween of all places, you know, and I'm I'm in so many different collectors groups, and so I've been seeing this is the new mask for uh, people who didn't see me in it a moment ago. Um, How many versions of the mask do they have? In uh, you mean overall? Or yeah, just overall. The mask differs in every movie. There are even a couple different versions of the mask inside, like, some of the... There's basically one Myers mask for each movie, plus three or four. Like, there are, there are a lot of different variations of this mask. So would you say that uh, the mask is kind of like a mascot for the, uh, the film franchise? 
Well, yeah, like, that's... It's Michael Myers is Michael Myers without it. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Um, but anyway, so, I got to wear this and the jumpsuit to the thieves. They wouldn't let my, they wouldn't let my, uh, prop knife in. Um, which, I went to see it at, like, Southgate, which is kind of the, um, I don't know. a rougher, uh, crowd that tends to frequent that, so I think the security yeah. is a little higher. There were, actual, that one. there were actual cops there, and it was like, oh! Yeah. Uh, they would let, they let me take the mask inside, but they wouldn't let me wear it. Um, which is really sad, because there's a scene where Michael gets his mask back, and I got to see it with uh, Celeste, if you guys remember her, and her husband. And so, Myers gets his mask back and puts it on, and they're like, put the mask on, put the mask on, and it's like, oh, the cops are right there, damn it! <laughs> uh, but, oh man, it would have been great. I'm, I'm sure I would have maybe caused a panic. Uh, <laughs> I did, I did kind of cheat, like, when it was over, I did put it on so that people would saw me in it, like, when the lights came on, and I got, like, a couple of jumps, and I got a couple of people who wanted photos, and it was a great time. <laughs> I, I loved it, like, I was so happy with it. Um, usually when I go see a movie, like, I'll have to go to the bathroom, like, at some point, and I'll, like, duck out for a couple of minutes. Uh, this time, I was able to, like, hold it, like, that's, that's how good this movie was, like, it kept my full attention so that I didn't have to do that. <laughs> Plus the Myers jumpsuit is actually somewhat difficult to take off. <laughs> yeah, you have to get naked to pee, that's a bummer. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, I, actually, I actually saw this one at the drive-in uh, as a double feature with the 1978 original, so that was a really special way to see this uh, new Halloween film. I actually saw the original Halloween, I guess it was yeah, last fall, around this time last year, um, the same drive-in in McHenry, Illinois, um, did a, I don't know, they always do um, horror movies in the month of October, and I don't know, I can't remember what other movie was on the bill that night, but, um, so that's my second time seeing Halloween um, at the drive-in, which is really cool, and um, it's very rare to get to see a new movie when it first comes out at the drive-in, so it, it felt like a very classic horror movie-going experience for me, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I went today to the uh, theater over at Southridge and saw it again for $5, and it was a different experience seeing it, you know, sitting in the recliner chairs at the theater versus watching it at the drive-in, so I'm glad I got to do both. Um and I still, you know, this time just cemented the fact that I really did enjoy this film. Um, I, I feel like it's the perfect sequel to the original. Um, very much the same type of movie. Um, and I thought it paid a proper homage to the original. It just really um, kept with the themes very well. And I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I'm the kind of person that tends to prefer older horror movies over newer ones so when um we get these newer films that come out and they really feel like an older film i tend i tend to be drawn to those and um this one definitely was one of those for me yeah when they're actually good like it makes a, a big yeah well a couple of things i thought definitely uh, so yeah. Yeah. no go 
I was going to say, as far as new versus old, um, you can definitely tell that the newer one had a considerably higher budget. And you can definitely tell, um, like, the, the acting is a little bit more realistic, which I think sure. that is a, 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 you know, the older ones sometimes are a little more over, you know, I guess, actively or not. You know what I mean, but um, it, this one felt a little more naturalistic in some ways, if that makes sense. Well, but, and we've get, got a much more seasoned Jamie Lee Curtis. I right. mean, she, yeah. her acting was pretty flat in the original. I thought she like, did a good job. Really in good. Good. I thought her career between then and now, yeah. I mean, I yeah, thought. her career over the last 40 years has been, you know, it has blossomed quite a bit. So. Yeah. yeah. I did, um, I did have some, I mentioned the new movie to, to another, uh, horror fan in the area, and I did hear some shade over, um, how he, apparently Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't like to talk about being in Halloween, or something to that effect. Um. I've never met her, so I've, I don't know, um, you know, I've met a lot of horror celebs, but she's not one that I've met, but I know she has done conventions before, and she typically, if she does do a convention, she will donate any money she makes to a charity. The, so, uh, actually, tonight, to get ready for this, I said I was looking at the shout one. It comes with a documentary called The Night She Came Home, which chronicles her doing one of those conventions. There's oh. an interesting look at it, and, um, yeah, she's she she can't, she said very openly that she's felt kind of out of her element at conventions and that sort of thing. But yeah, she apparently donated all the proceeds to the uh, children's hospital of uh, oh geez, I forget where so, somewhere in California. whatever it was. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of a good segue into the plot, because my notes here for discussing the plot of this film, of this newer one, is that it's Lori's revenge story, and a big glimpse into the PTSD that she suffered as a result of what happened to her, her experience from the 1978 film, and kind of how that um, comes to life. Well, you got to look at it. It's 40 years later, and uh, evidently she's gone through, what, two divorces? And her child uh, is now an adult, and she's estranged from her. Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, I mean, her it's not just PTSD that is involved with Laurie Strode's character. I, I think that there's some PTSD involved with her daughter that, uh, towards her mother a little bit. Because of the way that she grew up. Yeah. Um, the murder... Generational. Then I turned Laurie into kind of a survivalist. And so she's kind of like a... Almost like a doomsday prepper. Like she's really like, jittery. Like she she has her daughter actually taken away from her um, as a child. Because of just like all of like the survival training and like the weapons training that she's been, been teaching her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is kind of a, it paints, definitely paints a picture um, of Laurie Strode's character, a, a deeper picture, I think, um, even, and maybe even matches the deepness that we come to understand about um, Michael Myers. Like, in, in this storyline, we have these 
to podcasters who are seeking, you know, information. They do whatever expose style, uh, true crime podcasting or whatever. And they, they're trying to, to gather information about Michael Myers and this case. And, um, they sort of provide the, the background story for our plot so that even if you didn't see the first one, it sort of catches you up and helps you understand, um, you know, Michael Michael Myers as a character and what, yeah, what he did and what happened. You get Um, Michael unmasked for just a little bit in that very beginning scene where he's... Well, at the back of his head, kind of the side, slight side, we don't ever see him face on, but, um, yeah, he's sort of on this, like, big checkerboard outdoor patio space that, um, it really read like a chessboard or something to me. They have him in the yard for uh, for recreation time at uh, I think he's still at Smith's Grove, right? Yep. Um, so for recreation time at Smith's Grove, what they do is they take the inmate, they take the patients out to the yard and like chain them to like this brick thing with like a yellow line, so you know like how safe it is to get close. Uh, um, and the podcasters go out there and try to they try to talk to Michael, you know. What would you like to say about that night? You know, nothing. It's like, I have something here, Michael. And they, they have his original mask. Like, they show it to him. And Michael doesn't say anything, but, like, the guard dogs that are there and all the other patients, like, all freak out. Like, they can feel, like, something in the air when the mask is close to Michael. So, in a sense, that's, it all. that's a supernatural moment because they, uh, they sense that something is off. Yeah, um, that's, that's actually, in uh, interviews, that's how they describe, you know, they, the writers described Michael Myers as between, like, human and supernatural. Okay. Like, yeah, I feel like he rides a line, for sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And definitely the strength seems to be even strong, even more in this one. Like, he did some really brutal stuff with this beat, you know? <laughs> That was a that was another video too. Um, you know, Halloween twenty eighteen review, and the thumbnail is the guy who does the video, and the tagline is "No super strength, my ass." <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I enjoyed about the, uh, this film is uh, when uh, Michael Myers was actually in Haddonfield. And he stepped out onto the street, and all these trick or treaters are around. And you're just—I'm just thinking to myself, hmm, all of these people are fresh for the picking, aren't they? <laughs> you notice he doesn't publicly kill. No, his kills are always private. But when he goes to the house, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, is he going to go on a killing spree from house to house? He fucking uh, does. <laughs> he does. He only goes to that house and he, he kills those people. And that's why I think that there's a pattern. Well, I think he does two houses in a row, doesn't he? Does he? Very good. Well, there's the there's the house where the baby is in, which um, there's some controversy around that whole scene. Um, some people complaining that it's sort of you know, the movie breaks its own rules because Michael doesn't kill the baby. Um, And then you have the scene where I believe it's a separate house where you can see the woman inside talking on the phone and he sort of walks up to the front window, you see his reflection then he walks around to the back and she comes to the window and he stabs her through the throat from behind. 
Yeah. Okay. So he does, in fact, go kind of on a killing streak. But I think that these are calculated yeah. killings. The women, the woman in the uh, in the baby house. That's where he gets his knife from. Yeah. Um, see, he goes out to. We do like a long tracking shot, like when. Um, well, first of all, we totally missed the scene where he. Yeah, like how he gets out of uh, out of the. No, no, no. Yeah, we're skipping all over the place here. Right. <laughs> being transferred, um, and something happens to the bus, which we kind of get an idea of later on, but. Um, it crashes anyhow. Yeah. And a father and son are, like, uh, driving along, and that's when they kind of notice that uh, that this bus is uh, has careened around to the side. There's all these people wandering around near it. <laughs> all the, all the people. better check it out. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, the dad is like, you know, wait here. And he goes off and is never seen again, except as a broken corpse. Uh, and then the kid who has a gun, who is armed, um, goes out looking for his dad. And Myers ambushes him when he gets back in the car. And we see Myers kill a child in this scene. Which mm -hmm. Some people have been like, oh, the kid had a gun. And it's like, Myers kills who he wants to kill. Like, um, when, in reference to that baby scene, um, they kind of made a deal about, they made a big deal about, like, the psychology of, like, murderers, and how it's, like, a predator-prey kind of dynamic. And so my interpretation of the he-doesn't-kill-the-baby scene is that, you know, the baby isn't going to, you know, react and beg and be satisfying in the way that, like, killing an older person who would give him the reaction he wants, like, would, like, you know, he could just, like, reach his hand in there, like, crack, and that's, that's it. That's all. It seems like there was no sport in it. I well, it feels like he kills with purpose yes. more than that. I, I personally think that he went and, uh, he, he was trying to find the perfect weapon, and that's why he killed these people. Well, he wanted so his He got his knife, and then he needed to test it out. Yep. Uh, he needed he needed the perfect weapon, so, uh, so he was testing his uh, his abilities. Uh, now that he's gotten out, uh, out of the uh, 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 darn, darn bus, killed a killed a, ki a kid. Now I've got to find the perfect weapon. Okay, let's off this uh, this lady. And uh, yeah. well, we skip over the uh, gas station scene where yeah, he needs I to go. I tried to bring it up like yeah. twice, and we just keep <laughs> anyway. Yeah. After he has to get his mask back. After he escapes, uh, the podcasters have stopped. They still have the mask in the trunk. They've stopped at a gas station, and you see kind of sense of foreboding. It's kind of hard to describe, like, how it's set up. Um, it's like, there's, like, a garage nearby. You know, there are people in, like, the outfit. So like, they've stopped for gas, and there's an older lady that's in a truck that's, uh, that, uh, that, uh, one of the pod, uh, the male podcaster uh, tries to wave at, and she mention uh, she glances with her eyes uh, uh, that she, uh, 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 it, it's like a look that she gives him uh, that there's something there, uh, you know, and he he's like, he waves it off as something you know that uh, uh, that it's no, uh, nothing, and he just waves at her, and uh, and that's when. His partner goes to the ba uh, 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 goes to the bathroom, you know, and that's when 
uh, evidently we see the uh, uh, anyway, so um, he's messing with the he's dealing with the he's messing with the old lady for some reason, um, and like his partner, she goes to the bathroom, and I can't quite remember where the cutaway is, but you know some you know Myers walks in the bathroom. You see a tiny bit of his face again, and she's just like, "Is somebody there?" You know, it's very tense. Like it was in the trailer. And, like, then, mm-hmm. like, this grimy hand, like, reaches over the stuff and drops, like, a handful of teeth. Yes. And it's, like... That's pretty oh. badass. And it's, like, yeah. oh, my God. That's <laughs> pretty much how she takes... How he takes care of the podcasters, bashing her heads into the side of the um, bathroom stalls and whatnot in the bathroom. And yeah, he put a crowbar involved. Well, and before the, uh, before that, you saw the gas station att- attendant. His jaw was basically yeah. He tears that the jaw off. Yeah, that's where the teeth come from. <laughs> and he gets the other guy's coveralls, so he gets outfitted and gets in his mask, and that's how he gets back to being Michael My- Michael Myers. And then he gets goes I back to head and after that. I think the music cue for that is "The Shape Returns." Just shape another, return, thing, yeah. another thing we didn't quite touch on. Um, so, in the original Halloween, um, when he has the mask on, he's credited, Nick Castle is credited as the shape, because he's just, like, a human shape. Right. Rather than Michael Myers. Like, he becomes something more than Michael Myers when he has that mask on. And so that's why it's so fitting that he would have, like, his own special name like that. Okay. And hence it's why the shape returns. It's like, the people, it's like the patients in the, in the yard could feel, you know, the shape, like, about to come back. Mm-hmm. It's like existential dread in the air. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And actually, uh, another thing I think we mentioned in passing, but I don't recall that we actually brought up and talked about on the first one. It definitely applies to the second one, too. But the music is flipping awesome. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We didn't kind of go over special effects and music and stuff, but... Um, well, there weren't that know, many we're, anyway. We're sort of bouncing around, but I do agree. The music in both films is is excellent. I mean, John Carpenter writes his own scores anyway, so his his music is amazing. Uh, but I thought this new movie did a great job working with, I believe Carpenter's sons worked on the music yeah, with him together. And Tony so Carpenter. it was... Just, yeah, very, very well done all around. I thought it fit the film like a glove. Well, it's like the, it's like the perfect expansion. I mean, the people that I know who don't like the new Halloween movie love the soundtrack. Like, the soundtrack is what everybody agrees is perfect. The theme, uh, the theme for Halloween, um, I feel like it got clearer. There... It, it, it is essentially the same th- uh, theme. It's just clearer and... A little crisper. A little bit um, modernized. Correct. Uh, so it doesn't... It doesn't really change all too much uh, to me. But it... it, 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 it I definitely heard the difference. So. Get the mic out of your mouth, whoever that is. <laughs> 
Anyway. Uh, anyway, um, I don't know. We're sort of bouncing around on plot points. Um, we okay, haven't really so. talked about any of the characters yet, so. Well, anyway, anyway so um, after Myers kills a handful of people and like leaves the the baby's house, the baby house. Um, so earlier we had a scene where Laurie's granddaughter is walking down the sidewalk with her friends the same way Laurie did in the first Halloween with her girlfriends. If you notice, there are three. For, uh, for, uh, uh, three again, just like in the in the original three. And these scenes uh, will keep coming up throughout the movie. These um, callbacks to the original, mm -hmm. these scenes that um, almost match—not exactly perfectly, but match scenes from the original film very well. And um, if you didn't, you know, if you don't know the original film or, or you don't know it well enough to catch those callback scenes. I feel like they really still work with the 2018 film. Like, even if you don't know their callback scenes, everything seems to work pretty well. Um, that was something that, that I thought they did a good job of. Um, rather, sometimes you see a callback scene in a movie where it's like, it's so obviously, like, referencing something. And that if you don't know what it's referencing, it doesn't make sense. I thought they did a nice job in this one of making everything make sense, whether you knew what the reference was or not. Exactly. Um, a lot of the things that Laurie does that directly reference putting her in Michael's position is kind of interesting way to do it. But yeah, a couple times, like specifically when her granddaughter's looking out the window at school, um, which comes kind of in in the beginning of the film, and then there's a there's one towards the end of the film also when she's. Um, fighting with Michael Myers and she falls off the roof. He lands on the ground. Where she kind of does the same thing. The disappearing act where, you know, he looks away and looks back and she's gone. <laughs> that was nice. Um, but anyway, so after uh, the initial rampage, so uh, we cut to, Lor to Lori's granddaughter's friend uh, babysitting um uh, as my train of thought just goes away, I pick them essentially by myself. Um, so we don't have to go through the entire movie from start to finish yep. and try to remember every detail. I mean, we can kind of stop here and talk about some of the characters. I feel like this is a good so, one to talk about some of that character development between Lori, the daughter, the granddaughter. Uh, like, her friend has a lot of personality and is a lot more fleshed out than any of Lori's friends were in the first movie. Well, like we get um, we get a fairly long scene of her like actually babysitting, and she, yeah, we learn who this person is. Uh, the other thing is that the the child that uh, that she is babysitting, or um, instead of and, and in fact instead of um, Strode actually staying and babysitting, it was um, the granddaughter who actually went out and partied, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, she goes. Yeah, she goes to the school dance, and she's talking to the friend who's stuck babysitting. Um, but yeah, that was that was a great that whole babysitting couple scenes. There was great development on that character, and some comic relief from the kid. Chad, yeah. there was some good points yeah, he, in there. He lit the he lit the theater up. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> definitely. I definitely think that the child had more um, more personality. 
Yeah, yeah. He, he probably had more personality than any of the kids from the, the original movie, I think, too. Oh, yeah. um, that's kind of the way that I got it with a lot of the characters, too. It's like the, they were more realized. Sure. And I think that's the that's the job of a good sequel. Or, a, you know, and this could even be argued as a continuation of the same story and not so much a sequel. But, um, you know, I think that's one of the um, helpful aspects of modernizing a film is being able to develop on the characters a little more and... You know, Dustin, you did mention how the that the babysitter, I think her name was like Vicky or something like that. Um, they really do develop on her character and even a bit on her relationship with the kid she's babysitting for. And so we were invested in her. And so her death is jarring when it finally does happen. It was um, really violent, too. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it was like Rob Zombie violent. That's, that's kind of what this movie... This movie was a bit like a mashup between, like, the Rob Zombie Halloween's, like, sensibilities, which were just, like, over-the-top, like, nasty, with the, like, subtlety of the Carpenter ones. Like, it was kind of an in-between, almost. And I think, I think they had to at least go that far, because today's horror audience would not settle for less than that. I mean, I've heard complaints, even, from people, um, you know, that it wasn't, um, hardcore enough, or or whatever, and it's like today's horror fan, you know, is pretty desensitized when you consider, you know, what what moviegoers are watching in you know 1978 versus now. There's there's not people aren't as willing to to leave it to the imagination nowadays. So um, I thought that they struck a, a very good balance because I do enjoy the gore, um, and I thought they did a wonderful job balancing out where it wasn't too over the top but it was just enough where it's like yeah great touch and of course the effects were were pretty decent too if we're gonna go right ahead and say that but um don't go up there he'll kill you (laughs) 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 like it's really good yeah if I had a favorite scene from this movie uh, before we go on with some uh, some characters uh I myself love uh, love the part where she's running um, uh, from the moment where she has found her friend de- dead, and that's when the music uh, kicks in. All of a sudden, you hear beep, and then beep. That was actually my favorite moment too. Um, so the, the track right before that is so you kind of have to set it up a little bit. So um, she catches her boyfriend cheating on. Her. Lori's granddaughter catches her boyfriend cheating on her at the prom she's at, at, at the Halloween party, mm-hmm. and uh, this friend of hers, like, escorts her home, and then he kind of comes on to her, and she, like, ditches him, and they were walking through a yard, and there are, like, these motion lights, mm-hmm. wow. and, uh, like, Michael Myers, Myers is, like, in the shadows, mm-hmm. and, like, the lights go off, you know, the kid moves, Lights go, come back on, like, he's gone. Like, that's another kind of thing that they played with the supernatural thing. Like, Michael Myers does not trip motion lights. Like, I thought that it was, like, really unsettling for some reason. Yeah. And anyway, so she's, she's mostly left, and My- Myers nails this kid, like, on a, on a wrought iron fence. It's actually what those, the music is called, wrought iron fence. And, you know, she hears him screaming, and she comes back, you know, like, going on, and the lights come back on uh, when it it senses her, and, you know, all of a sudden, like, Myers, like, steps in front of the gate, and, like, she, she's, you know, 
all her life, she's been hearing, you know, oh, my grandma's crazy stories about Michael Myers. Yay. You know, she's not really taking it seriously. And all of a sudden, he's right there. And if there wasn't a gate, she'd be dead. And it kind of, like, all plays, like, on her face as she reacts. And she just runs. And then um, the best music cue in the movie plays, which is uh, The Shape Hunts Allison, I think is what it's called. And this track has been described as if John Carpenter took a crack at the Goosebumps theme. Like, it's really cool. It's only about a minute long, which is the worst part of it. But <laughs> awesome, and I love that scene. Well, the music plays in wonderfully with... In that whole scene in general, I really loved that. Uh, that was probably my favorite death scene, too, the, the motion sensor lights in the yard and stuff. And yeah, the, the music is perfect in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a good example of what I was saying earlier. Like, this movie was co-written by Danny McBride, and his humor shows through. There's a lot of humor in the movie. A lot of good one-liners and that sort of thing. But almost all of them seem to set up... Most of the characters that have great comedic lines end up getting killed off in the movie. And it's very frustrating. But, um... But the one, one, the one character has the best line in the movie doesn't die, but the other two in the scene do. It's like my favorite line in the movie is "Sunday first. So, when he gets when he gets Laurie's friend who's babysitting, like her boyfriend is there, and they're like, "I heard something upstairs," and the babysitter's like, "I'll go check it out," and the kid's like, "No, send Dave." Like, he doesn't want to get hurt. <laughs> yeah, that whole that whole uh, story arc was really well done. Um, probably one of the more interesting aspects of the movie. Um, it's the characters are secondary, and, and it's not that important of a of a plot piece. But it's a really fun part. You needed to have some humor to offset some of the violence. So I would agree with that. You know, I think just like in the first one. With the ridiculous, you know, bedsheet scene or whatever, we need those, you know, lighter moments. And I thought this 2018 film did a great job of balancing that out again. There was no complaints. It's like Larry's daughter Karen and her husband Ray. Like Judy Greer is well known as a comedic actress, but she plays it totally straight in this movie. But Ray is just kind of. <laughs> He's yeah. bumbling. He's like a yeah. bumbling idiot. Yeah. You know he's gonna die just because yeah. he can't even put out a mouse trap without getting peanut butter on him. Yeah, they, uh, that was a uh, that was a joke I read in one review. Yeah, he's like I got peanut right. butter all over my penis. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to know how they right, right after he set right after he set a mouse trap. So it it, it was kind of comical there. Yeah, um, my favorite take on him was from, like, this negative... I wrote a negative review of it, of the movie, and they were talking about how, you know, his death was... His death was... I forget exactly what they described it, but they described the scene as, you know, he knows Michael Myers is loose, and he's just wandering haplessly around the yard unarmed. Like, yeah. He actually had the gun in his hand. So it's not like he was unarmed. He just didn't... I wasn't paying attention. Kind of he didn't know how to use it. He's a bumbling idiot, remember? 
He is to die. He's a comic relief husband. Exactly. Because, uh, because remember that dinner scene where where uh, Laurie Strode strode in, and he's t talking to the uh, to the uh, the Dave character, uh, or was it Dave? No, it was the other kid. Um, and uh, I was talking about uh, Reefer. Yeah. Oh no, that was that was again like the babysitter and yeah. and um, <laughs> they were on the phone. She was on the phone, and it's like, yeah, are you bringing that Alakazam? And the kid's like, we all know what you're talking about. Uh, she's like, what? No, we're not. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, and she looks in, and like, well, I want to tell your mother about your browser history. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to go back and just sort of touch on um, the relationship between Lori, her daughter Karen, and the granddaughter Allison. Like, I feel like each each one of them sort of has a distinct um, personality trait as far as um, who they are and then sort of how they interact with one another. I wondered if anybody else had any feedback on there. I, I think, obviously, Laurie Strode is, is a complete badass, like, dealing with all her shit. We kind of talked about that. Uh, her daughter, Karen, seems to be very much in denial um, about any sort of dangers and, and just in that sort of healing mode of trying to get better. Um, and the granddaughter tends to be like the one sort of balancing factor between the two. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that the daughter was in fact they had a family, had a family dynamic for sure and they played off of each other very well. I think she was focused on the life that she had when she was taken away at the age of 12. Uh, she knew her, her her mother to be like this paranoid, uh, fr frantic person, and uh, she even said that that you know uh, she it, all she remembers is like the basement uh, basement being being like locked down there or or whatnot. When she, and I, I I don't think she understood at the time that she was just preparing, you know, for the future, you know, uh, to protect her. And you sort of but she could tell through. even though, yeah, even though uh, she had a, a strained relationship with her daughter, she really cared and loved her granddaughter like a lot, you know. And she was trying to, you know, trying to have a relationship with her, even though it was, you know, strained because of the the mother and her. And yet, um, she was in fact telling her uh, her her daughter, which is Laurie Strode's granddaughter. That she had actually talked to her about, uh, 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 or when she had actually not talked to her. Well, that gives us a great example of the family dynamic, the way that um, you know Karen is just trying to avoid Lori at all costs, even lying to her own daughter about it. Um, but you do see at a point, um, you know, towards the climax of the film, I feel like you do see that that point where Karen sort of has that realization, like, holy shit, you know, my mom was right all this time. Well, yeah. And, and it, she sort of catches up, if you will. And I feel like the whole movie, Allison is the character who um, is sort of bridging that gap between mother and, you know, her mother and her grandmother. She's that uh, balance point that bridges the gap. And I feel like that can be possibly foreshadowing for something in the future, because... 
I, I have to imagine they're going to keep going with this storyline and, and have another sequel after this. So oh, they totally I feel like they're, they're planting some seeds for Allison's character. They actually wanted to shoot the sequel at the same time, but they decided that they would just release the, this movie now and kind of try it out to make sure, to see if it would actually be a hit first. Um, yeah. They had, they had, like, two more movies after this one planned, like, right from the very beginning. Like, they were ready to go. Uh, so, it's kind of funny. Like, a lot of people were like, oh, the ending sets it up for a sequel. You know, it's like, well, we knew that was going to happen because they told us it was going to happen. So, I don't know what you're complaining about. Like, it's something surprise. Like, oh, I thought they killed him in this one. It's like, well, they're not gonna, so. <laughs> I think they could. They could have, and I would have been okay with it. Well, you know, a, it there was a point where I thought he was dead, and then, you know, he gets up and he comes back, you know. Yeah, he does that same rise at the bottom of that stair- staircase. But I was going, uh, going to say, say that... Um, uh, 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 Laurie Strode's daughter turned into kind of a badass there for a moment, you know? She, yeah. she played that um, uh, that mother, come help uh, help uh, us right after she pretends, she, pretends to have a, she pretends to have a breakdown like in the panic room like after the Michael Myers, so Laurie Strode has a panic room in her house like hidden under like a kitchen cabinet thing, it's like a swiveling hidden door kind of Myers tears that thing off of the ground, like, you know, yeah. not the human uh, and so, like, she's pretending to, like, have, like, a crying, like, breakdown, it's like, I can't do this, and, like, Michael Myers, like, steps in front of the stairs, and she was just, like, faking to lure him out, and she blasts him, <laughs> he does go down, and stay down momentarily, momentarily, that, uh, that, to me, was, like, uh, uh, that that to me was one of my favorite, the other favorite scenes because I did not expect her to turn around and be badass like that. You know, well, um, that that got cheers at the theater. <laughs> oh, and speaking of characters, we never really talked about Doctor Sartain, the uh, new Loomis. <laughs> so evidently, uh, it's the same guy, right? Like no, the same no, actor. <laughs> Oh, Donald Pleasance died a while back. Yeah. Donald Pleasance so, died in the 90s. Uh, He's yeah. been dead for like 20 years. Actually, you know, that was another thing I meant to comment on the first one, but it's somewhat, uh, somewhat uh, peculiar that uh, Donald Pleasance played such a uh, grim and unsmiling character. I just thought that was kind of funny. Oh, with the name Pleasant. Okay. Yes. So this Dr. Sartanis is evidently the doctor that has taken over the charge of Dr. Loomis. And uh, apparently um, he he comes uh, comes to Haddonfield in the same likeness of Dr. Loomis to, uh, to search for him. But he has a hidden plan uh, yeah. involved in his character. Not, uh, not where... Not where he wanted to kill uh, him, more like he was fascinated with the whole uh, idea that that he was now on the loose, and he wanted to know more about what uh, or what Michael felt at that point in uh, time when he killed, and I think he experienced some of that. He wanted to understand like why Michael is the way he. He wanted to understand why Michael is Michael, Uh, Mm -hmm. like. 
he wanted to understand like the like the psychology of you know how you could be like a murderer like that, and he took it way too far and kind of lived his work, I guess. So <laughs> he ends up. Um, I think the only reason Michael Myers even finds Laurie is because like he takes he basically takes him to Laurie's house because he wants yeah. to see he wants to see that dynamic play out like. Uh, like, he gives a whole speech about, like, the predator-prey thing that he interprets Michael's and Laurie with. Oh, yeah. He wants, to, he, wants to see those two, he wants to see those two clash. You know, it doesn't work out for him, you know. But, well, yeah. and his motivation plays an important role, as you're saying, in, in the moving the plot forward. And I've heard it argued, and I'd be interested to hear what you all think that um, his character is kind of tired. Like, I've heard some people say that the Doctor character was predictable and unnecessary and that they could have accomplished the same motivation with the podcasters had they been kept alive longer in the film and had they been the ones sort of motivating Michael to come back to Haddonfield and to look for Laurie Strode, uh, that they could have avoided... The, the Doctor character. I didn't mind the Doctor character. I actually didn't see the twist coming a mile away, surprisingly I enough. Not. Um, I didn't either. Like, that yeah. totally took me by surprise. And those podcasters were idiots. I was kind of cheering for them to die, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I've just heard it argued that, you know, the same motivation could have been accomplished with their characters. Like, they could have played the same type of role that the Doctor played in terms of... Um, you know, helping Michael sort of being um, the, the twist piece and making sure that he was able to get to Lori. Yeah, I didn't see it either. So, uh, so I, I, I I see why they wa uh, they wanted to, uh, uh, to use that uh, that character a, a little bit more. And maybe they could have used the podcasters as the protagonist to get, you know, M uh, Michael where he is. But I agree. They were much too rude um, in the uh, meeting with Laurie Strode. Um, I mean, they were basically, you know... <laughs> they were really pushy. Yeah, they were. So. Well, we've got to make a reason for them to die. Painful death, don't we? Oh, yeah. Uh, was there any other characters that um, anybody wanted to touch on anything specific with? Before we move away from that, I no. it, I can't really think of anybody that we haven't already discussed. You know, the only other character we didn't really discuss in any detail was Allison's boyfriend. But I feel like again, there wasn't. I mean, whatever he was, kind of a jerk. Yeah. Um, they do touch on uh, some bits and pieces about him, like his family, uh, like his dad uh, is one of the characters from the original uh, Halloween, and they, they sort of touch on some of that, but I think maybe that, again, is planting a seed for future installments of the storyline. Uh, uh, like, they, I'm sure Allison and her friends will be more important did, in the uh, film. They did address that. Um, again, they, they were... Again, they were ready to shoot both movies at the same time. This was uh, sure. oh, they have they have that ready to go. Like that is that is part of the next one. It's already been written in. Who was the guy with the armband? The brace on his arm was that the doctor? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because there was a part where they were in that police car, and he puts the mask on, and then all yeah. of a sudden you see Michael, and I'm like, whoa, what yeah. happened there? Uh, yeah, that was the whole process of him trying to get Michael to Laurie Strode's house. Yep. And, um... Yeah, they knock the other out by running him over. <laughs> yeah, the other cop runs him over, and then that's where we where Sartain reveals himself as being the plot twist, where he, um... I forget Hawkins or something the cop's name is. He yeah. stabs him, kills him, and is uh, able to the, the cut Michael into the car. Somehow, with one arm, he drags big ass Michael Myers all the way to the car and I was the very, seat with Allison. <laughs> I was very impressed with the sheriff's uh, uh, presence uh, uh, because I remember this guy uh, uh, being in the Mothman prophecies. Uh, the uh, the actor. Um, where where he kind of just went, uh, went off and uh, uh, talked to Ingrid Cole to uh, Richard Gere's character, um, but um, um, I was very I, I wasn't sure how his character uh, w would be be, but I, I thought he was actually pretty badass towards the uh, towards that you know scene. Um, so, but <laughs> in any case. The other thing that I wanted to say is that this was pretty much a straight slasher film. It, it didn't really have a campiness to it where there was much nudity involved, either. Yeah, it was well, very serious. Pretty, straight, pretty straightforward, yeah. Except for that uh, rehash scene with the sister, just briefly. Yeah. I, I mean, there wasn't really anyone getting, you know, into a bed and starting to make out or anything. It was just, you know, just straight, okay, 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 let's see Michael kill. Okay, let's... Well, and I think speaking on that, um, you know, back in the 70s and the 60s when, you know, these kind of films first started coming out, it was a lot of times the slasher was that, uh, it was sort of that cautionary tale, like the people who were committing the sins or doing the bad things were getting yeah. killed, you know, the teenagers having sex and all of that kind of stuff. And I don't, I think we've moved away from that in horror now, uh, because there isn't such that, um, moral high ground that, that people tend to take anymore where, you know, if you're having sex before you're married, you deserve to die. Like, that sort of is not an overtone in our storytelling anymore. Um, so I think that was just a natural progression of, uh, you know, the 40 years. Okay. Uh, but anyways, we can probably move on to another topic. Uh, we've, I think, exhausted the topic of characters. We talked about the music. We didn't really talk about the special effects at all. Uh, I had a cold, by the way, guys. Sorry. Which I don't know if anybody had anything in the special effects department that really stood out that they wanted to talk all about. All the really convincing. Um, there's a really cool scene where he kills a couple of cops, and he does, like, he doesn't ever, like, yes. set-piece kind of thing. Where favorite, yeah. he, set, he sets the stage for somebody to like find the bodies in like a gruesome way. Um, he he tears one of the cops' heads off and carves it like a jack lantern, and then puts like a flashlight in it so that it's like lit up. But yeah, yeah. pretty. It's pretty nasty, but really awesome. Um, that guy is coming out with an ultimate Michael Myers figure, and that head is one of the accessories. Awesome. 
Yeah, uh, enjoy. Are you going to get it? Well, yeah, I'm going to get it. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that home of Laurie Strode's. What did you think about uh-huh. what it ended up being? Well, that was pretty cool. Um, so, Lori's house has, like, a bunch of, like, it's kind of hard to describe. It has a bunch of automated, like, doors and locks. Right. Like, she can of- close yeah. off those rooms and quarantine those spaces. Yeah, like, she moves through and sweeps the house. It's really cool. Like, she's checking, as she's checking rooms, it's, like, clear, and she presses a button, and, like, a shutter comes down so that... You know, if he's hiding in another room, he can't go hide in that room now, because she's already cleared it. <laughs> yeah, she's very calculated and, and clearly has um, thought a lot about this. Her, her entire house is not only a fortress, but a trap. Yeah, and, and that, that surprised me. You know, yeah. how, many, how many of those rooms actually did have, like, one of those, you know... Okay, let's uh, let's close it off. You know, <laughs> so they all did. We had forty years to come up with this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did seem a little uh, extreme. You know, destroying your entire house. But you know, if you want to make sure he's dead, she you know? was willing to sacrifice it all because that was the end. The end game, anyways, was to get rid of Michael Myers. It's always yeah. been right. I will admit, that was one thing that had me a little bit confused until they did that little twist at the end. It's like, I didn't really realize that she had built it as a mousetrap, that she built it, you know, it looked like she built it as a fortress for, like, to survive under siege sort of thing. So when she's out wandering, looking for him, I was like, what? Why are you doing this? You've got a fortress. Why are you wandering? But it was, you know, she wanted to hunt him down. Yeah. Uh, Like, if he found her, you know, that's what it would have been for. They were also looking for the granddaughter for a while, too. Uh, She also had to lure him back to that place somehow, too, you know? Uh, And ultimately, she had to know that that he was ultimately after her and, and her family, you know? Yeah. There's kind of some uh, uncertainty about whether or not, like, Michael recognized her, like, right away, or actually went out looking, seeking her and her family out. Um, Like, some people say it kind of comes off as that they're just, like, there. And it's like a coincidence. Why does he have to come back to Haddonfield? You know? Why couldn't he just go to any town? Because he wanted to go back to... He wanted to pick up where he left off, basically, was the explanation I had heard. But, I mean, either way is Well, that's just all he knows, right, is Haddonfield. That's what he did the first time. It yeah. just makes yeah. sense for him to do it again. Yeah, and Smith's Grove is like 150 miles away from Haddonfield. Like, he really could have gone anywhere else, but... You know... <laughs> Did anyone else have anything else to shoot, that they wanted to add? Yeah, hey, I thought I was hosting. Does anybody else have anything they want to add? <laughs> after the credits. <laughs> At the end, that he doesn't really die then, does he? I mean, they burn oh. him down in that. Of course he doesn't die. Um, 
So the movie ends with uh, Laurie's house is indeed a giant trap. So her panic room is actually the final piece in it. So Michael gets down into the panic room and they run out and hit a button and a bunch of spikes come out and like trap him inside there. And then a bunch of gas blowers burn the house down. Mm-hmm. And they watch they watch Michael stand in the flames for a while before leaving. Mm-hmm. And the mouth burns down. And after the credits roll, you hear that the mask breathing again. It's like, oh, he's still out there. And a lot of people were like, oh, my God, I didn't know. And it's like, we all knew. Do you think in the next one, then, he'll be, like, half-burned or something? He'll be, like, Freddy versus Michael Myers. I kind of hope not. Like, I hope he is... I hope they kind of ride that supernatural line with him again. Like, well, they're going to have to. They've never done a Michael versus Jason. So. Well, they've never done Michael versus any of the other guys. Nope. That would be interesting. It, w- it would be. And I, I thought that, the, uh, that there had been some talk about a possible versus between Michael versus Jason, but only amongst fans. So. <laughs> well, that's. You're always going to have that no matter what. <laughs> um. I had, I think about the closest it gets is, um, in that Hack Slash series, um, where it's, like, the girl hunting down, like, slasher villains, um, like, he never appears in there, but they make, they've made references to him off and on, it's like, oh, there are all kinds of these guys, some dude who kills people in their dreams in Ohio, some guy who haunts this campground in New Jersey, you know, this guy who shows up in the same mask in Haddonfield every Halloween. <laughs> yeah, they, they make references like that, and so they, they all have, like, a shared universe thing going on, at least in that series. Um, which, I don't know, it does kind of its own things. Like, you could tell he's sort of, you could tell the writer wanted to do, like, licensed characters, but he had to come up with his own, so, um... The Michael Myers character in that, you know, his name is Sam Hain. I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be Michael Myers. Um, he's like a major character of like a speaking role and is briefly a hero. <laughs> it's really We're getting cool. way off track and it's cool. getting late though. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, the new Halloween is lit. Go see it. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, a lot of purists really dislike it. Like they're calling it H2O. They're calling it like H4O. Uh, it does play a little bit like Halloween H2O, except not boring. Isn't H2O yeah. terrible? Uh, um, I know about terrible, per- I've seen worse. <laughs> I saw H2O, like, last winter, um, and I was like, yeah, this is okay, this isn't as bad as I remember. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely give the new... Halloween, two thumbs up. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. What does everybody else think? Does everyone else recommend it? Yeah. yeah. I, would, I would recommend it for, uh, for uh, people, uh, people to see. It was definitely, it was definitely uh, better than the Rob Zombie uh, Halloween, I think. I stand by Rob Zombie Halloweens. I like the Rob Zombie Halloweens. <laughs> Um, well, that's, that could be a completely different episode. We'll have to v- <laughs> visit that. 
I know it is like the second one as well, so we could we could have a whole love fest where it's like, yeah, I thought it was cool too. <laughs> and then everybody can yell about, about being wrong. <laughs> but anybody uh, have any final final thoughts before we jump into our self promos and wrap this up? See see the see the first Halloween and then go see this. Um, it does it does ignore all of the other sequels in the continuity, so keep that in mind when you see it. And don't let the critics just tell you, oh, it's bad, eh. Like, uh, I saw on RogerEbert.com, it, it got two stars because, frankly, because it's a horror movie, and those guys just hand horror, like, in general. Roger Ebert would yeah. do, like, a good review of a horror movie, but only if, like, pressured. Let's put it this way. He gave Anaconda three stars and Hellraiser, like, a half star. That Hellraiser was, like, the most... He said Hellraiser was totally bereft of creativity and stupid. I feel like the Raven, he did have praise for the original Halloween, though. He he had praise for movies that were so good for horror movies that were so good you could not deny it. Like he was very much a he was very much a mainstream. I want to say hack, but that's not quite right. Yeah, but when he didn't like stuff, he made it fun. I loved reading his negative reviews because he was so snarky with them. <laughs> yeah. Like, alligators as fun as getting your legs chewed off. It's stupid. It's like, no. Like, I used to really like Ebert, but after going back and reading a lot more of his reviews, it's like, wow, this guy sucks. Like, uh, didn't he die? Yeah, he died. Yeah. Both of them are dead now. Yeah. Like, he was a, he's a good writer, like, that's that's the big part, that's his big claim to thing, like, he could write very well, um, and that's why I like reading, I like reading his reviews of good movies that he actually recognized were good for horror, uh, but that didn't really happen all that often, so, like, I think he gave, I think he gave Chainsaw Massacre, like, two stars, and his review included some justification, like, this is a great horror movie, like, but I'm only giving it two stars because I don't think it deserves more. Um, like he tried to, he tried to get Betsy Palmer like blacklisted for being in Friday the Thirteenth. Like he really hated horror movies. <laughs> yeah, he was he was a bad dude. <laughs> All right. Well, does anybody have any other final thoughts on Halloween 2018? No. Going once, going twice. Buy no. the vinyl. Wear the mask before it becomes too expensive. <laughs> All right. Um, well, then I guess we can move on to our um, self promos, and um, we can go ahead and have you go first, Jake. All right. Um, I'm Jake. I uh, frequently guest on the YouTube channel Sin vs. the World, and I actually am kind of happy. Last night, I. I uh, did one of the videos from scratch with all the editing and posting. Given that there were programs I had never used solo before, I felt a feeling of accomplishment doing that. So, <laughs> so that was good. Um, but, and then, of course, I have my own channel, which, you know, gets occasionally updated, Kodabuki Jake. Um, and um, I'm just, uh, you know, I work, you know... Really? Sorry. What? I'm sorry, man. My brain just fried on me. It's been it's the end of a long day. 
So, what is it about? That's okay. We just had a double header, so we're all a little tired. It's fair. content. Why don't we go ahead and move on to Dustin? So, I, I live in Milwaukee and I collect horror anything I can get my hands on. I have an Instagram for my collection at dhrhunter, all one word. And I'm also starting up a channel on YouTube called The Crypt of Horrors, where I'll do like collection breakdowns, like unboxings, and ideally interviews with uh, people in the horror community. Uh, I'm working on my interview with Tim Seeley, which he created the comic series Hack Slash and is also behind writing a Halloween series called Night Dance, uh, in addition to a ton of other stuff that I just could not list because it would take a while. Uh, I was supposed to interview him last week, but um, he had an emergency, so we had to cancel, and so now we're trying to reschedule. Um, but, uh, yeah, I go to UW, and I'm going to be terrorizing the grad student Halloween party tomorrow night. Yeah. They won't know what <laughs> They were like, we're looking for horror comedies. What should we play? And I was like, okay, here's a list of ten things. <laughs> about dead alive and so my my personal hope is that they they check some is that they like just play one of those without like checking it out first and it's like oh my god <laughs> i like frightening the squares of a monster <laughs> sounds like fun how about you red raven why don't you tell us uh oh, yeah. that good stuff no. I'm a Red Raven, and I am from uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and I book shows in the Milwaukee area, and I'm also a dead girl at Dead Girls Dark Coffin Classics. Excellent, thank you, and how about you, David? Hi, uh, I'm uh, David Streggy, and uh, I run the Inside Motor School uh, uh, Actually, uh, it's run by all of us, actually, but... Um, uh, normally I do, uh, do some reviews on this channel as well as some interviews. Uh, check out the la uh, latest interview with uh, one of D uh, Dane's uh, fr uh, friends, a music composer. Um, uh, just not too recently on the uh, uh, ch uh, ch uh, channel. And uh, uh, I also run Movies Galore Milwaukee, which is a blog. Uh, uh, but I've been focusing more on the Inside Movies Galore channel. So, um... Check out some of my, uh, my cool re uh, reviews that uh, that uh, probably be, be coming out with, and uh, uh, also, uh, Katie, what is the movie for next week? The movie for next week is going to be uh, the animated film Coco. Okay. Mm. And I do believe that that's streaming on Netflix. Okay. So on Netflix, I haven't watched it yet, but I saw it's available. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's about Day of the Dead, which is actually coming up um, at the end of this week, but we'll be talking about the Day of the Dead stuff next week. Okay. Um, and I suppose I can tell you guys all about me. Uh, I'm Katie Cadaver from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm a body-positive horror artist and alternative model. You can find me on Facebook and Patreon, also on Instagram at Third Eye Open, 3-R-D-E-Y-E-0-P-E-N. I'm also the makeup artist for the horror punk band Rat Bat Spider. You can listen to them at ratbatspider.bandcamp.com. 
You can also see them coming up this Saturday, November 3rd, at uh, Weird Bar in Milwaukee uh, for the Creep Show. And they will be there with Fetch the Players and also um, with my group Grindhouse Tees, where I perform and produce burlesque. Uh, we're all doing a show together at Weird Bar on Saturday, November 3rd. So come out and see us around 9 p.m. And also, I am a dead girl for Dead Girls Dark Coffin Classics Horror TV Show. And you can catch episodes at vimeo.com slash ddcc. And if you're interested in any of my burlesque stuff, you can check out Brian House Tees on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. I'm also a Tromet with Troma Entertainment. You can find all the good Troma stuff at troma.com. And I am also uh, an editor with Movies Score of Milwaukee, and I've been uh, working on getting our list of movies for the podcast and just helping to streamline that a little bit more. Um, and as I said, next week will be Coco, the animated uh, Dia de los Muertos film. So I'm looking forward to that one, and I don't think we have it set up past that. I think we were going to do a pick for Dustin's birthday, but I'm not sure if you picked one yet, Dustin. You know, I, um... Ah, it's goddamn cough. <coughs> uh, right whenever it, whenever it gets cold, like, the first time of the year, like, I always get, like, ultra sick. I hate Wisconsin weather. Uh, well, that's not fun. But we're not picking your birthday movie in. Oh, yeah, we're <laughs> back to us. We're thinking of, like, Alligator or the Wicker Man. Like, the good Wicker Man, not the shit Nicholas shit one. Good, okay. Well, keep us posted on that. It'll be a fun time on our way, guys. Mm. Sounds me. good. Uh, oh. Well, I guess that's probably it, right? Yeah. Yep. So everyone say goodnight. Yeah, yeah, good night. Good night. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I thank you. <laughs> <laughs>